The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. So a couple of things. We actually had the UMHP soccer team with us last hour. So go crew, right? And uh, I told them they were uh, picked to be the conference champions, not to disappoint us. So uh, they've got a tall order coming to them from uh, everything out there. So Coach Bankhead is one of our deacons here, and uh, they had 52 young men who joined us last hour, and they're off to practice. So away they go. Uh, secondly, tonight, uh, one of the highlights of the calendar year for us is baptism. Baptism is an opportunity for folks to proclaim their faith in Jesus if they have changed lives, and they do that publicly. We've got a pool outside the Creekside building located directly behind us. We would love for you to join us, bring a dessert. We'll share a dessert together. And uh, if you are a family member, son or daughter, husband or wife getting baptized, would you stand? we got anybody here this hour. we got about 25 folks being baptized. Anybody here this hour being baptized? Family member, would you guys stand? Several over here, back there, back there. Great. It's a great time for us. We invite you to join us and experience the work that God's doing. We were privileged to see over 30 folks baptized in May. So God continues to draw people to our Savior, and we see the evidence of those changed lives. Uh, right now, there are a bunch of folks wanting to find out what TBC is about there in an introductions class at 11. If you're new and you want to do that, you've got my permission to get up and head back there uh, to Creekside Building. It's uh, meeting some of the staff, some of the elders, and uh, introduction to what TBC is all about. So that's happening. If you'd like to find out how to be part of a small group, which is uh, really important to us, we would invite you to stick around following this hour, go from this building to the Creekside Building. And uh, David Richardson, our small groups pastor, will be there, and he'll be talking about small groups, how to get connected. It's Connections Ministry. When you walked in, you received a one-sheet handout, and on that you can see we've got a lot of launchings taking place. And all these launchings, all the things we're talking about are are correlated by our core values. Our core values are personal surrender, uh, living in community together, and living a sacramental life. And so uh, each class that you see taking place, everything happening, we desire for these things to be true in our lives individually and for our community, doing life together as well as being on mission together. So uh, if you'd like more information about all that, look in the bulletins, all these launchings, Sunday school classes, uh, grief share, uh, all the various things will be fit through that grid as our desire. Uh, finally, I'd like to pray for school starting, right? Uh, I'm sure you're all, all the kids are excited about that and all the parents are excited too, I'm sure. So I, I want to pray for uh, a lot of you today. So if you are a teacher, would you stand up? Maybe it's private school, homeschool, public school. If you're a teacher, you stand up. We want to pray for you. There we go. Faculty member, faculty member university. If you'll keep standing. So if you'll remain standing, that would be great. We've got a lot of teachers in here. Uh, maybe you or a coach or an administrator, a school board member, an employee of one of the school districts, would you stand up? We want to pray for you as well. So you're working in one of those places. Maybe you're driving a bus, working in the cafeteria. We want to pray for you as well. Now, the ones we really need to pray for students. So if you're a student, uh, would you stand up? We've got a bunch of students with us. There we go. We're going to pray for you. And the folks that need the most prayer are parents. So if you're the parent of a student at any level, would you stand up? Because we know you need a whole lot of prayer. There we go. Super. So here's what we're going to do. If you got somebody standing next to you, you touch them, put your arm next to them, uh, around them. We're going to pray for them. And uh, 
Let's ask God's blessing. Father, we're grateful for the new school year. We're grateful for these teachers, for these principals, for these coaches, for uh, these administrators, for these school board members, for uh, these students, and for these parents. Father, we pray blessing over them. I pray this will be a year where they honor you first and foremost. Father, would you let them be light in the dark world that we live in? And Father, would you protect them? Would you allow them to do their work as unto your glory? not of their own. And so I pray blessing over them. Would you use them in great ways in the name of Jesus? Amen. Let's thank all these folks one more time. So if you have your Bibles or your, you know what? I'm watching Arlen Griner walk down here. Hey, you guys, Arlen, stand up for us. Would you stand up for us? That's a miracle right there. Some of you guys may not know this. Wednesday night, I was in the hospital. Arlen and I lived across uh, two-door neighbors for 26 years, and uh, he had a stroke. And on Wednesday night, he could not move anything on his left side. Wednesday night, at 11.30, he couldn't move a single thing. I watched a nurse come in there and say, pick up your arm. He couldn't pick it up. Pick up your leg. Couldn't pick it up. I'm going to raise your arm, Mr. Grainer. Would you put it down? And it just flopped. It was 11.30 at night, Wednesday. At 11.40, I saw his leg shoot up in the air. I saw his arm shoot up in the air, and I heard him. He, his speech had been garbled, didn't understand. He said, I think I'm okay. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know that I've ever witnessed a miracle before, but I'm telling you, I witnessed a miraculous event that took place that day. So to God be the glory. <laughs> I mean, really, it's one of the most amazing things that I have seen. And... Uh, to God be the glory. We've been weeping together and rejoicing together since then. So he feels a whole lot better than he looks, by the way. So that's, that's the good news. Okay, if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Maybe you've got a Bible. Maybe you've got an app on your device. Those usually come with Bibles as well, so you can turn and open there as well. John chapter 14. We are uh, journeying through the Gospel of John together. This is actually our 29th session in John's Gospel. And we're going to take it all the way through Thanksgiving and then do a Christmas series and then uh, start something fresh in the first of the year. Let me just catch you up. Very basic. It was a chaotic time in the lives of the disciples. They're surrounded by chaos. Jesus has just told them, he says, I'm leaving and you can't come. In John 13, 33, he says, little children, I, I, I'm with you for a little while longer. You shall seek me, as I said to the others, but to the Jews. And now I say to you, where I'm gone, you can't come. It's a time of chaos. Jesus says, I'm leaving, you can't come. And then just prior to that, he's in the upper room. And he said, by the way, one of you are going to betray me. And not only that, Peter speaks up and says, Lord, I'm going to go where you go and where you're going. I want to be, he says at the end of the chapter, chapter 13. And he says, no, you're not. You're going to deny me, Peter. They're filled with chaos. For three years, I followed Christ closely. For three years, I've been his disciples. And now he says, I'm leaving. You can't come. He's identified a betrayer in their midst. And he has told Peter, you're going to deny me. Imagine the chaos in the lives of disciples. I don't know what kind of chaos you bring to the table today as you come to worship at TBC. Maybe it's a chaos of struggle on the job, a chaos struggle within your family. Maybe it's chaos with your marriage. Maybe it's chaos at school. Maybe it's chaos. I'm not sure I even want to be here. Uh, we know chaos. We, uh, three weeks ago, we had our seven-year-old tornado with us. She was our granddaughter, and she stayed with us for a week. We know chaos. 
Following that, we took our two oldest twin grandsons. We told our grandkids, when they turn 12, pick a place, we'll take it. They picked Boston. I don't know what possessed them to do that. We averaged walking about seven miles a day with twin boys who are almost 12. They never tire out. Never, ever, 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 ever. <laughs> and then after that, we came back and spent a couple of days here working and uh, headed to the hill country for five days. And I don't know what possessed us to do this back to back with six grandkids and their parents in one house. <laughs> we know chaos. And we know fatigue right now. We know chaos. Some of you, how many of you are freshmen over there? Let me see your hands. Freshmen, man, a bunch of you. Look at that. Wow. So, uh, so, it, so you, you, you get a roommate, right? And, uh, you know, you think about that person. You maybe met them online or talked to them a couple of times. And uh, maybe you've got to handle some chaos. Uh, the chaos could be this way. You're a new student and uh, you're a neat freak. How many neat freaks over there? God bless you. I am one of them. Okay. We are, we're cousins. So you go to your dorm room and you're a neat freak, but after two days in your dorm room, this is what the other half of it looks like. <laughs> All I Googled up was messy dorm rooms. That's what popped up, guys, right there. I can't even look at that picture. I, won't, I refuse to look at it because it'll drive me absolutely crazy if I did that. So you know chaos, right? School starting. School starting. Little chaos in your family? Just a little chaos? I mean, think about it. Ladies, let me talk to you. Your, your day is filled with getting kids up, getting breakfast gobbled down. Your husband goes off to work. You've got to get ready for work. A- after school comes sports team, band, gymnastics, piano, dance lessons. You come back to get dinner ready. You're trying to help with homework while you break up fights. I, there are no fights in most of your families that happen in our family frequently. So, so you're doing all that, and uh, then you make out a grocery list. You think about uh, baking something for small group tomorrow night. You grab a quick shower. You're ready to crash. And your husband wants to do more than cuddle. (laughs) Total chaos. (laughs) What what, what do you do with all that? I mean, how do you handle all that? One author says this, is uh, uh, we are a tired society, a tired people. We're a tired generation. We go from long lines to long lists. And we, we have all these things that we need to do. There's grass to cut, weeds to pull, shopping to happen, groceries to buy, meals to cook, diapers to change, carpets, kids, canaries, everything needs our attention. The government wants more money, the kids want more toys, the boss wants more hours, the school wants more volunteers, the spouse wants more attention, the parents want more visits, and the church wants more of your time. How do you handle it? How do you handle it? Disciples are in chaos. Jesus says, I'm leaving Peter's denying, Judas is betraying. How do you handle chaos? Well, Jesus turns to the disciples and he says, boys, in the midst of all that's happening, I'm going to give you peace. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give it to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, don't let it be fearful. He says, I, I know your heart's troubled, but it doesn't have to be. I know it's fearful, it doesn't have to be, because I'm going to give you peace. How do you find peace in the midst of chaos? If it's starting a new school year, if it's uh, struggles at home, struggles at work, how and where do you find peace? And Jesus says, my peace is different from the world's peace. Instead of anxiety, instead of worry, I want you to have peace. So we're going to start off by looking John chapter 14, verse 15. Jesus begins by saying the display of love happens through obedience. 
It's couched in the middle of this whole section on peace, of not being fearful. He's already told the disciples in 14.1, Dave Tate preached it last week, let not your heart be troubled, believe in God, believe in me. And so he's talking, about, he's talking to men who have fear, who have worry, of anxiety, have trouble, because he says, I'm leaving, one's betraying, one's denying. Chaos. So he turns to the disciples in verse 15, and he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. And then look at verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. So twice in just a handful of verses, Jesus says, hey, the proof of your love for me is your obedience to me. The proof of your love for me is your obedience to the commands I've given you. You can say you love me, but really, if you don't respond in obedience, I don't really know that you love me. So in the midst of chaos, how do we find peace? Well, Jesus starts off by talking about love. He starts talking about love. Two times he says, if you love me, you're going to obey me. Now we need to back up. We need to back up. We need to ask a question. What is the impetus or what is the motivation for us to obey? I mean, we could stand here and say, well, it's a command, so I ought to do it. I mean, it's a duty, right? I mean, it's what I'm supposed to do because Jesus said it, so I'm going to do it. And we do it out of duty. We're no different than the second grader who on the first day of school refused to sit down. Finally, the teacher the third time said, if you don't sit down, I'm sitting to the principal's office. So the kid sat down. Then he raised his hand and he said, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I want you to know I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> so when it comes to following the Savior, sometimes it's easier to do it out of duty rather than delight. But the motivation is wrong. The foundation that we sang about in all these songs is wrong. In 1 John 4, John, the same author as the Gospel of John, says this. We love because, fill in the blank for me, we love because he first loved us. Why do we love our Savior? Because of everything he's done for us. Everything we sing about in those songs, he who laid down his life, I love the song, A Billion Years. It talks about all the mistakes we've made, everything we've done, and how he takes that upon himself and how he forgives us. And the motivation to obey comes as a result of his love for us. When you love someone, you want to obey them. When you love them, you want to obey I used to tell my kids that all the time. Hey, dad's giving you a command. If you love me, you're going to listen. And they would just kind of look at me. I'll never forget that, I mean, you know, we had a deal in our house, the house we lived in before for those 26 years next to the grinders down here. And we had stairs, our kids lived upstairs. And the rule was, if you leave something on the steps during the day, you take it up with you at night. And uh, I'll never forget, my daughter said, uh, why should I do that? And I said, because, because dad asked you to and because you love me and you want to obey me, right? And so sometimes she would gradually I'll never forget when she was about 18, 19, I can't remember what, one day there were things on the stairs, and I said, hey, Sarah, would you mind bringing it up? Actually, she had multiple, my son would have a pair of shoes. She'd have multiple things on those stairs. Hey, Sarah, you mind bringing that up? Sure, Dad, I love you. I'll be glad to do that. I thought, who died and invaded her body? <laughs> but isn't that the way it should be with the Savior? We love because he first loved us. And so when he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, we realize the foundation and motivation for that love is his love for us. When we see what he has done for us, how can we not love him back? 
Otherwise, we end up in a bog of moralism, legalism, and trying to earn God's favor. And we don't have to do that. I love what Matt Carter, pastor of Austin Stone, says about this particular section of God's word in his commentary on John. He says, if we look at the words of Jesus and think, I can make him happy if I do this one, or he won't be angry or disappointed with me as long as I don't mess up on that command, then we are not obeying out of love for him. We're simply trying to earn his favor. See, if all we're doing is saying, hey, I'm going to do that, maybe God will love me more. You can't get God to love you more. He loves you unconditionally and totally. You're just trying to curty, cur, to, to, to curty his, cur, I can't get the word out. Anyway, you're trying to earn his favor. <laughs> Curry his favor. Then Matt Carter goes on and says this. If you want to conquer sin and obey Jesus, you don't simply try harder to obey. You stoke the flames of your love for him. The antidote for disobedience is not obedience. The antidote for disobedience is love. If you struggle to obey Jesus, then focus on loving him more. Beg God to give you a passion for Jesus. The greater your love grows, the easier obedience comes. See, when you love the Savior more, you desire to obey him. It's just like marriage, isn't it? It's just like marriage. I mean, the reason I should desire to serve my bride is sitting down here is because of my love for her. Now, I'm a list maker. How many of you are list makers? Let me see your hands. You're list makers. I mean, the last thing I did, I worked yesterday and I left the office at about five. The last thing I did was make up my to-do list for next week so I would feel better. Okay. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so anal about this. If, if I do something that's not on my list, I write it down just to get the pleasure of scratching it off. Okay, true confessions. How many of you ever do that? Let me see your hands. There we are. It feels so good not to be alone. How many of you think, Gary, you're a sick man for doing that? Yeah. Bev says there's medicine for that. I said, you don't know the pleasure of scratching something off a list like I do, though. But here's the reality. If I come to Bev and say, hey, babe, I love you. Let me prove how much I love you. And I pull out a list and said, spent five minutes with Bev in conversation today. Uh, listened to whatever. Watched a movie with Bev today. And I said, here's my proof of how much I love you, babe. She's not going to look at me and say, you hunk a hunk of burning love. Because <laughs> I'm a list keeper. But that's what we often become in the spiritual life. Rather than passionately falling in love with the Savior. Which then inflames our heart so we'll obey. We'd rather keep rules. Make lists. T.S. Eliot, the great poet, said the greatest treason is to do the right thing but for the wrong reason. You do what's right. But the motivation is not out of your love for the Savior. Michael Iaconelli said, religious people love to hide behind religion. They love the rules of religion more than they love Jesus. So we want to keep the rules, but we fall in love with the Savior. And finally, uh, Curtis and Elridge said, Satan replaces a love affair with a religious system of do's and don'ts. Those things parch our hearts. Our experience deteriorates from a passion of grand love affair to an endless series of chores and errands. A busyness that separates us from God, separates us from one another and even from our own thirstiness. If you love me, you'll obey me. The motivation for that is our love for him because of what he has done for us. The foundation, the foundation, the motivation is love. And so we're not rule keepers, we are grace followers. You say, okay, Pastor Gary, I get it. 
I get it. My foundation, the reason, that, the thing that motivates me to serve Christ, to obey Christ is, 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 is loving him. I, I recognize all he's done for me. I love Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. What are these commandments? Twice he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he loves me. Well, there was a rich young ruler who asked Christ that question. What's the greatest commandment? What did he say? Love and love. He says, you love the Lord your God with all your, whole, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your might. And the second commandment is likened to it. You love your neighbor as yourself. He says, here's a command. You want to obey it? Love God and love others. Just in the passage we looked at two weeks ago, John chapter 13, verse 34, a new commandment. There's our word. It's a commandment I give to you. And he says, uh, love one another, even as I have loved you. So love one another. And so here's the command. It's to fall in love with one another because of what Christ has done in us and through us. So you look around a room like this. I mean, hundreds of people, all, you know, all three hours. We've got folks coming through at school, a lot of folks back. And who is it you don't love? What group of people do you not love? Got a person you don't love? You see, the way you overcome that is falling in love with Jesus. And then you recognize the issue is the issue of the heart, right? And a change takes place. Well, what are some other commandments that he's given us? I, I began thinking about that as I was putting this together, and I thought, well, I, I could go a hundred different places. There are a lot of commands in the scriptures given to us, right? So in Ephesians chapter 4, I just went to one section. Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. Here's a command. Therefore, each of you put off falsehood, speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're members of one body. So he says, here's a command. Don't lie. Speak truthfully. Lay aside falsehood. When we lie, one author says, we speak the devil's language. And so if we're going to fall in love with Christ and be like our Savior and follow his commandments, we're not going to lie. Ever tempted to lie? Me. I mean, it's a temptation at times to speak a half-truth. Half-truth is a whole lie. It's a temptation at times. Pastor was walking down the street when he came upon a group of about a dozen boys, and uh, they're, they're, all, they're between 10 and 12 years of age. They're surrounding a dog. And uh, the pastor said, what are you boys doing with that dog? And he said, well, this is a stray dog. We all love him, but uh, we can't all take him home. So we decided to have a contest. Whoever tells the biggest lie will get to keep the dog. And the pastor looked at him and said, boys, I'm ashamed of it. He launched into a 10-minute sermon on uh, why they shouldn't lie. And at the end of it, he said, don't you boys know it's a sin to lie? When I was your age, I never told a single lie. The boys got stone silent. Finally, the younger was saying, all right, mister, you can have the dog. If you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. Lay aside falsehood. Paul goes on in Ephesians, in your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Got any angry folks here? Anybody admit they're angry? I'm angry. Your favorite part of your car is your horn. That's an indication of your anger. Indication of your anger. You're mad all the time. You watch the news and you wish you could throw your remote through the screen. That's a display of anger. I mean... He says, be angry, but do not sin. He goes on and he says, don't let any wholesome word come out of your mouths. But only a word that's good for edification, for helping build others up. Don't let any wholesome talk come out of your mouth. <laughs> I'm sure nobody here struggles with that. 
Say, hey, if, if you're the person who gossips all the time, who spreads rumors, who talks about other people, who cusses a blue streak, you don't have a tongue problem, you've got a heart problem. Out of the mouth comes that which defiles the what? What the scripture say? Out of the mouth comes that which defiles the heart. So if you're that person who's filled with unwholesome talk and not building others up, uh, that becomes the issue. It's a heart issue, not a tongue issue. We go on and on. Ephesians 4, get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, every form of malice. Be kind to one another, compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as you've been forgiven in Christ. And then we say, Pastor Gary, you have no idea how deeply I've been wounded, how deeply I've been hurt. I do not know that, but I do know the Scriptures teach us to forgive. We go on and on. First Thessalonians says this. It says, this is the will of God. How many of you want to do the will of God? We should all raise our hands, right? I want to do the will of God. He says this. Three words in the Greek language abstain from sexual immorality. The word for sexual immorality is pornea. Sound familiar? He says, if you want to do the will of God, abstain from pornea. Any of those three words you do not understand. Abstain from pornea. Abstain means don't be participating in from means that which is there. Uh, pornea means any type of sexual immorality. You want to do the will of God, that's what you do. So is that white-knuckled resistance? No, it's because you love the Savior. Because of what the Savior's done, you love him. That's the motivation to follow his commands. And one in First Thessalonians, this is the will of God. In everything, give thanks. Not in some things, not occasionally, not once in a while, but in everything, give thanks. It doesn't mean everything's good, but in everything, we give thanks. So he looks at his disciples and he says, hey, the display of love comes through obedience. The foundation and motivation for that the foundation and motivation for that is the love that I have for you. Then he goes on. If you look at verse 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He's already told them I'm leaving you. You can't come. And he says, but by the way, I want you to know you're not going to be an orphan. You're not going to be left alone. You're not going to be without someone to help you. In fact, in verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. Let's pick that verse apart. I'm going to ask the Father. Christ is going to intercede for the disciples. He's going to send. The Father's going to send you another helper, another. There are two Greek words for helper. Or, I'm sorry, for another. Another of the same kind, another of a different kind. He uses the word another of the same kind. He said, I'm going to send you a helper just like me. I'm going to send you my doppelganger, somebody that looks like me, somebody that's like me. The Holy Spirit is not separate from the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. I'm going to leave. Christ must depart so the Holy Spirit can be imparted. In fact, this came about on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. We, we see Pentecost comes, the Spirit of God comes upon the, the, the community of believers there who become the church. It's the beginning of the church, and the mark of the church is the giving of the Holy Spirit. The moment you trust Christ as your Savior, yeah, a 180-pound Jewish Galilean doesn't jump down your throat, but you're indwelled by the Spirit of God, and that's the power we live by. Amen? And so we look at that and he says, uh, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm going to go and I'm going to send you a helper. The word for helper is an interesting word there. It's the Greek word paraclete, paraclete. It, it comes out of the legal realm, out of the legal world of that day. One who is an advocate, one who defends you, one who speaks for you, one who comes alongside you. That's the concept. An advocate comes alongside you. An advocate depends, defends you. An advocate speaks for you. And he says, I'm going to send the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, he calls it the Spirit of truth. And then if you drop all the way down to verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit. He defines who he's talking about right here. So here's the point. Guys, I'm leaving. But you're not going to be an orphan. In fact, I'm going to send you a spirit, a paraclete, 
one to come alongside you, who's going to teach you, verse 26, who's going to guide you, and who's going to abide in you. By the way, uh, he's going to do that. What's it say at the end of verse 16? That he may be with you for several months. Be with you for a few years. Be with you how long? Forever. If you write in your Bible, circle that word. The Spirit of God will not depart from you. One of the marks of the New Testament church is the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit on every true believer. Every one of us, if you've trusted Christ your Savior, possess the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. I'm leaving, but I'm going to do it. In the next few weeks, we're going to look at five different passages. They're called the paraclete passages in John's Gospel, where John talks about the role of the Holy Spirit. I'm convinced the Holy Spirit's the forgotten person of the Trinity when it comes to the church. We don't talk about the Spirit enough. We don't talk about His role enough. And we're going to do that over the next several weeks because five times, beginning in this passage, John speaks about the Holy Spirit. So he says, we obey the commands because of our love for Him. The power to obey those commands comes from the Spirit who lives within us. The Spirit of truth, verse 17, whom the world cannot receive because it doesn't behold Him. It doesn't know Him but he abides with you and will be in you. So he says, here's where the power comes from. It comes from the Spirit of God. Too many of us live life this way. We go to the store, we buy a chainsaw. We don't really know how it works. So we get the chainsaw and we begin to use the chains manually to cut down a branch. How does that work? Not very well, does it? works a whole lot better if you reach down and you fill it with, with, uh, with, uh, with fuel and you crank it up and you let the chain do the work, right? The engine do the work. That's what he's saying. I've given you the Spirit to empower you, the Holy Spirit to empower you to live this life. Depend upon Him. Depend upon Him. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. A person drunk with wine is controlled by something other than himself. Person filled with the Spirit, controlled by something other than himself. Person drunk with wine, does natural, unnatural things. A person controlled by the Spirit does supernatural things. Those things are listed in the next three verses, Ephesians 5. Don't take my word for it, look at it. Look at verses 19, 20, and 21. Don't be drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit. Those three things are giving praise, giving thanksgiving, and submitting to others. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. So he says, I've given you, the, you're not an orphan. I'm giving you the power to live the spiritual life by sending the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of promise to you. And then finally, he says, in the midst of all this chaos, I want you to have peace. I want you to have peace. And he says in verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Where does the world teach you to find peace? Teach you to find peace in a bottle, a pill, a hit? Teach you to find peace in a sexual encounter? Find peace by having a better job, making more money, being able to go places and do things? Peace comes from a little more? Where's peace come from? He says, I'm going to give you a peace that's different from the world's peace. In the midst of the chaos of life, you don't have to be fearful. That's what he says at the end of verse 27. You don't have to be troubled. 
because I'm going to give you something greater than what the world can give. I'm going to give you the spirit of promise so you can walk in love and display it through obedience. And I'm going to give you peace that comes from me. The source of that peace, my peace, I give unto you. How do you have peace in the midst of chaos? One of the ladies in our church wrote a book, Linda Strom. Linda wrote a book on Carla Faye Tucker. Carla Faye Tucker was a lady who was executed because of a crime she committed, murder she committed, and Linda became her spiritual mentor and counselor. If you want to be moved, you read the biography that Linda wrote about Carla Faye Tucker. It's a moving, moving story. She became a dear, godly woman that Linda mentored and it's part of her life. Linda writes this in her book. She says, with only 20 days left until our execution, I ask her, I say, Carla, are you able to sleep at night? She seems surprised that I ask her that question. Yes, Linda. At night when I'm locked in my room, I worship God. I sing to him. I pray to him. It's so wonderful. His presence is there. I thank him for loving me, and I let him know how much I love him too. And as I worship him, his glory fills the room. In his presence, I fall on my face before him. And then I sleep soundly. 20 days later, she was executed. How in the world can you have peace knowing 20 days later you're going to die? Because her life was filled with the Spirit of God walking in obedience to the one she loved. Peace takes place in a heart that allows Jesus to reign over it. The world says you look for peace somewhere else. Jesus says you look for peace in me. Where are you looking for peace? I can't stop thinking about it. Just the other day. I was sitting in traffic on my way home from work. I was trying to rock my screaming baby to sleep in the darkness. Laughing superficially at my boss's joke, pretending not to notice he was drunk out of his mind. And the thought occurred to me, what, what has happened to you? You used to be so sure of what you wanted to do with your life. Happily married. You used to be so in control of everything. It's funny how life speeds up slows down to this agonizing pace when, when you, you lose something so important to you when you're pursuing something you want so badly but you can't have it can't seem to grasp it and then i thought to myself i need peace i want peace and right then in that moment i heard the voice, the voice of, of my mother my sunday school teacher my college boyfriend i think i heard the voice of god speaking to my heart and he said, fear not, I'm with you. He said, nobody cares how you feel. And she said, when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. I will never leave you or forsake you. I remember that quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson. Nothing can give you peace but yourself. Nothing but the triumph of your principles. When I heard that, I felt so... Comforted. Free. Judged. Confused. How can I have peace when there's so much I'm unsure of?
is there a job out there that would actually be fulfilling? Am I going to be a good mom? Will this be the year when things finally turn around? Can our marriage be saved? Will I find friends here? If peace is something I just can't make. manufacture, if I can't buy it or achieve it or pull myself up by my own bootstraps and make it on my own, even if I want it desperately, somewhat desperately, I'd like to have it. Where is it going to come from? Where? Where? confess that oftentimes we look for peace apart from the Prince of Peace. And it's a temporal fix. And we confess that before you. And for those of us that know Christ who are not at peace, we pray that indeed our hearts will be filled with an obedience out of love so we might experience a peace of knowing and walking with you. If you're here today and you're not sure if Christ is your Savior, the first way to find any type of peace is by confessing your need for a Savior because of your sin and asking him for forgiveness. Then you'll be at peace with God so you can have peace eternally and internally and with others. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being the Prince of Peace. Thank you for sending the Comforter the Advocate, the Spirit. We pray that we'll live in peace out of obedience to you. In Christ's name, amen. Bless you. Have a great week.